Welcome back, dear listener, to a new episode of Storytime with Mark, the podcast dedicated to the pleasure of reading out loud, and hopefully also to the enjoyment of many other people, perhaps people even like you, people who like to be read aloud too. Well, dear listener, we're back in the swing of things with Treasure Island, and as you well know, in our last uh, episode, we... Uh, dove into the section of the book entitled The Stockade, and today we will finish that uh, section with a couple of short chapters. And uh, it sounds like things are really getting uh, tense on Treasure Island. Jim and the doctor and the squire and the captain are holed up in the stockade, and the pirates are outside. And in the last episode, waving a white flag and wanting to parlay or uh, have a peaceful conversation. We'll see how that plays out. So we will start off with a chapter entitled Silver's Embassy. Long John Silver coming to probably try to pull the wool over their eyes is my guess. Uh, all right, without further ado, back to Treasure Island and Silver's Embassy. Sure enough, there were two men just outside the stockade, one of them waving a white cloth, the other no less a person than Silver himself, standing placidly by. It was still quite early, and the coldest morning that I think I ever was abroad in, a chill that pierced into the marrow. The sky was bright and cloudless overhead, and the tops of the trees shone rosily in the sun. But where Silver stood with his lieutenant, all was still in shadow, and they waded knee-deep in a low white vapor that had crawled during the night out of the morass. The chill and the vapor taken together told a poor tale of the island. It was plainly a damp, feverish, unhealthy spot. Keep indoors, men, said the captain. Ten to one, this is a trick. Then he hailed the buccaneer. Who goes? Stand, or we fire. Flag of truce, cried Silver. The captain was in the porch, keeping himself carefully out of the way of a treacherous shot, should any be intended. He turned and spoke to us. Doctor's watch on the lookout. Dr. Livesey, take the north side, if you please. Jim, the east. Gray, west. The watch below. All hands to load muskets. Lively men and careful. And then he turned again to the mutineers. And what do you want with your flag of truce, he cried. This time it was the other man who replied. Captain Silver, sir, to come on board and make terms, he shouted. Captain Silver? Don't know him. Who's he? cried the captain. And we could hear him adding to himself, Captain, is it my heart? And here's a promotion. Long John answered for himself, Me, sir. These poor lads have chosen me, Captain. After your desertion, sir, laying a particular emphasis upon the word desertion, we're willing to submit if we can come to terms and no bones about it. All I ask is your word, Captain Smollett, to let me safe and sound out of this here stockade and one minute to get out a shot before a gun is fired. My man, said Captain Smollett, I have not the slightest desire to talk to you. If you wish to talk to me, you can come, that's all. If there's any treachery, it's, it'll be on your side, and Lord help you. That's enough, Captain, shouted Long John cheerily. A word from you's enough. I know a gentleman, and you may lay to that. We could see the man who carried the flag of truce attempting to hold Silver back. Nor was that wonderful... Nor was that wonderful, seeing how cavalier had been the captain's answer. But Silver laughed at him aloud and slapped him on the back as if the idea of alarm, of alarm had been absurd. 
Then he advanced to the stockade, threw over his crutch, got a leg up, and with great vigor and skill succeeded in surmounting the fence and dropping safely to the other side. I will confess that I was far too much taken up with what was going on to be of the slightest use as a sentry. Indeed, I had already deserted my eastern loophole and crept up behind the captain, who had, was, had now seated himself on the threshold with his elbows on his knees, his head in his hands, and his eyes fixed on the water as it bubbled out of the old iron kettle in the sand. He was whistling to himself, Come, lasses and lads. Silver had terrible hard work getting up the knoll. What with the steepness of the incline, the thick tree stumps, and the soft sand, he and his crutch were as helpless as a ship in stays. But he stuck to it like a man in silence, and at last arrived before the captain, whom he saluted in the handsomest style. He was tricked out in his best, an immense blue coat, thick with brass bucket buttons, hung as low as to his knees, and a fine laced hat was set on the back of his head. "'Here you are, my man,' said the captain, raising his head. "'You had better sit down.' "'You ain't a-going to let me inside, captain,' complained Long John. "'It's a main cold morning, to be sure, to sit outside upon the sand.' "'Why, Silver,' said the captain. "'If you had pleased to be an honest man, you might have been sitting in your galley. "'It's your own doing. "'You're either my ship's cook, and then you were treated handsome, "'or Captain Silver, a common mutineer and pirate, and then you can go hang.' "'Well, well, Captain,' returned the sea cook, sitting down as he was bidden on the sand. "'You'll have to give me a hand up again, that's all. "'A sweet, pretty place you have of it here. "'And there's Jim. "'The top of the morning to you, Jim. "'Doctor, here's my service. "'Why, there you all are, speaking... "'Why, all there... Why there you all are, together like a happy family, in a manner of speaking. <clears throat> "'If you have anything to say, my man, better say it,' said the Captain. "'Right you were, Captain Smollett,' replied Silver. "'Duty is duty, to be sure. "'Well, now, you look here. "'That was a good lay of yours last night. "'I don't deny it was a good lay. "'Some of you pretty handy with the handspike end, "'and I'll not deny neither that what some of my people was shook. "'Maybe all was shook. "'Maybe I was shook myself. "'Maybe that's why I'm here for terms. "'But you mark me, Captain. "'It won't do twice, by thunder. "'We'll have to do sentry go and ease off a point or so on the rum.' Maybe you think we were all a sheet in the wind's eye, but I'll tell you I was sober. I was only dog-tired, and if I'd awoke a second sooner, if, I, if I'd if i caught you at the act, I would. He wasn't dead when I got round to him, not he. Well, says Captain Smollett, as cool as can be. All that Silver said was a riddle to him, but you would never have guessed it from his tone. As for me, I began to have an inkling. Ben Gunn's last words came back to my mind. I began to suppose that he had paid the buccaneers a visit while they all lay drunk together around their fire, and I reckoned up with glee I reckoned up with glee that we had only fourteen enemies to deal with. Well here it is, said Silver. We want that treasure, and we'll have it. That's our point. You would just as soon save your lives, I reckon, and that's yours. You have a chart, haven't you? That's as may be, replied the captain. "'Oh, well, you have. I know that,' returned Long John. "'You needn't be so husky with a man. "'There ain't a particle of service in that, and you may lay to it. "'What I mean is, we want your chart. "'Now, I never meant you no harm myself.' "'That don't. That won't do with me, my man,' interrupted the captain. "'We know exactly what you meant to do, and we don't care for now, you see. "'You can't do it.' 
and the captain looked at him calmly and proceeded to fill a pipe. If Abe Gray, Silver broke out, avast there, cried Mr. Smollett, Gray told me nothing, and I asked him nothing. And what's more, I won't see you and him and this whole island blown clean out of the water into blazes first. So there's my mind for you, my man, on that. This little whiff of temper seemed to cool Silver down. He had been growing nettled before, and now he pulled himself together. Like enough, said he, I would set no limits to what gentlemen might consider ship-shape or might not, as the case were. And seeing as how you are about to take a pipe, Captain, I'll make so free as to do likewise. And he filled the pipe and lighted it, and the two men sat silently smoking for quite a while, now looking each other in the face, now stopping their tobacco, now leaning forward to spit. It was as good as the play to see him. See them. Now, resumed Silver, here it is. You give us the chart to get the treasure by, and drop shooting poor seamen and stoving off their heads in while asleep. You do that, and we'll offer you a choice. Either you come aboard along of us, once the treasure shipped, and then I'll give you my affidavy upon my word of honor to clap you somewhere safe ashore. Or if that ain't to your fancy, some of my hands being rough and having old scores on account of hazing, then you can stay here, you can. We'll divide stores with you man for man, and I'll give my affidavy as before to speak the first ship I sight and send them here to pick you up. Now you'll own that's talking. Handsomer you couldn't talk, look to get, not you. And I hope, raising his voice, that all hands in this here blockhouse will overhaul my words, for what is spoke to one is spoke to all. Captain Smollett rose from his seat and knocked out the ashes of his pipe in the palm of his left hand. Is that all? he asked. Every last word by thunder, answered John. Refuse that and you've seen the last of me but musket balls. Very good, said the captain. Now you'll hear me. If you'll come up one by one unarmed, I'll engage to clap you all in irons and take you home to a fair trial in England. If you won't, my name is Alexander Smollett. I've flown my sovereign's colors, and I'll see you all to Davy Jones. You can't find the treasure. You can't sail the ship. There's not a man among you among you fit to sail the ship. You can't fight us. Gray there got away from five of you. Your ship's in irons, Master Silver. You're on a lee shore, and you'll so you'll find. I stand here and tell you so. And they're the last good words you'll get from me. For in the name of heaven, I'll put a bullet in your back when next I meet you. Tramp, my lad, bundle out of this, please, hand over hand, and double quick. Silver's face was a picture. His eyes started in his head with wrath. He shook the fire out of his pipe. Give me a hand up, he cried. Not I, returned the captain. Who'll give me a hand up, he roared. Not a man among us moved. Growling the foulest imprecations, he crawled along the sand till he got hold of the porch and could hoist himself again upon his crutch. Then he spat into the spring. There, he cried, that's what I think of ye. Before an hour's out, I'll stove in your old blockhouse like a rum puncheon. Laugh by thunder, laugh. Before an hour's out, you'll laugh upon the other side. Them that die'll be, on, be the lucky ones." And with a dreadful oath, he stumbled off, plowing down the sand, and helped across the stockade after four or five failures by a man with the flag, by the man with the flag of truce, and disappeared in an instant afterwards among the trees. 
The next chapter is titled, The Attack. As soon as Silver disappeared, the captain, who had been closely watching him, turned toward the interior of the house and found not a man of us at his post but Gray. It was the first time we had ever seen him angry. Quarters, he roared, and then, as we all slunk back to our places, Gray, he said, I'll put your name in the log. You've stood by your duty like a seaman. Mr. Trelawney, I'm surprised at you, sir. Doctor, I thought you had worn the king's coat. If that was how you served at Fontenoy, sir, you'd have been better in your berth. The doctor's watch were all back at their loopholes. The rest were busy loading the spare muskets, and everyone with a red face, you may be certain, and a flea in his ear, as the saying is. The captain looked on for a while in silence. Then he spoke. My lads, said he, I've given Silver a broadside. I pitched it in red hot on purpose, and before the hour's out, as he said, we shall be boarded. We're outnumbered, I needn't tell you that, but we fight in shelter, and a minute ago I should have said we fought with discipline. I've no, matter, no manner of doubt that we can drub them if you choose. Then he went to the rounds and saw, as he said, that all was clear. One of the two short sides of the house, east and west, were... On the two short sides of the house, east and west, there were only two loopholes. On the south side, where the porch was, two again, and on the north side, five. There was a round score of muskets for the seven of us. The firewood had been built into four piles, tables, you might say, one about the middle of each side, and on each of these tables some ammunition and four loaded muskets were laid ready to the hand of the defenders. In the middle, the cutlasses lay, lay ranged. Toss out the fire, said the captain. The chill is past, and we mustn't have smoke in our eyes. The iron fire basket was carried bodily out by Mr. Trelawney, and the embers smothered among sand. Hawkins hasn't had his breakfast. Hawkins, help yourself, and back to your post to eat it, continued Captain Smollett. Lively now, my lad. You'll want, to, you'll want it before you're done. Hunter, serve out round, a round of brandy to all hands. And while this was going on, the captain completed in his own mind the plan of defense. Doctor, you will take the door, he resumed. See and don't expose yourself. Keep within and fire through the porch. Hunter, take the east side there. Joyce, you stand by the west, my man. Mr. Trelawney, you are the best shot. You and Gray will take this long north side with the five loopholes. It's there the danger is. If they can get up to it and fire in upon us through our own ports, things would begin to look dirty. Hawkins, neither you nor I are much account at the shooting. We'll stand by to load and bear a hand. As the captain had said, the chill was past. As soon as the sun had climbed above our girdle of trees, it fell with all, all its force upon the clearing and drank up the vapors at a draft. Soon the sand was baking and the resin melting in the logs of the blockhouse. Jackets and coats were flung aside, shirts thrown open at the neck and rolled up at the, to the shoulders. And we stood there, each at his post, in a fever of heat and, ang and anxiety. An hour passed away. Hang them, said the captain. This is as dull as the doldrums. Gray, whistle for a wind. And just at the moment came the first news of the attack. If you please, sir, said Joyce, if I see anyone, am I to fire? I told you so, cried the captain. Thank you, sir, returned Joyce with the same quiet civility. Nothing followed for a time, but the remark had set us all on the alert. 
straining ears and eyes, the musketeers with their pierces with their pieces balanced in their hands, the captain out in the middle of the blockhouse with his mouth very tight and a frown on his face. So some seconds passed till suddenly Joyce whipped up his musket and fired. The report had scarcely died away ere it was repeated and repeated from without in a scattering volley, shot behind shot like a string of geese from every side of the enclosure. Several bullets struck the log house, but not one entered, and as the smoke cleared away and vanished, the stockade and the woods around it quiet looked as quiet and empty as before. Not a bow waved, not the gleam of a musket barrel betrayed the presence of our foe. Did you hit your man? asked the captain. No, sir, replied jo Joyce. I believe not, sir. Next best thing to tell the truth, muttered Captain Smollett. Load his gun, Hawkins. How many should you say there were on your side, doctor? I know precisely, said Dr. Livesey. Three shots were fired on this side. I saw the three flashes, two close together, one farther to the west. Three, repeated the captain. And how many on yours, Mr. Trelawney? But this was not so easily answered. There had some many from the there had been there had come many from the north, seven by the squire's computation, eight or nine according to Gray. From the east and west only a single shot had been fired. It was plain, therefore, that the attack would be developing developed from the north, and that on the other three sides were only to be annoyed by a show of hostilities. But Captain Smollett made no change in his arrangements. If the mutineers succeeded in crossing the stockade, he argued, they would take possession of any unprotected loophole and shoot us down like rats in our own stronghold. Nor, we ha nor had we much time left to us for thought. Suddenly, with a loud huzzah, a little cloud of pirates leapt from the woods on the north side and ran straight on the stockade. At the same moment, the fire was once more opened up from the woods, and a rifle ball sang through the doorway and knocked the doctor's musket into bits. The boarders swarmed over the fence like monkeys. Squire and Gray fired again and yet again. Three men fell, one forwards into the enclosure, two back on the outside. But of these, one was evidently more frightened than hurt, for he was on his feet again in a crack and instantly disappeared among the trees. Two had bit the dust, one had fled, four had made good their footing inside our defenses, while from the shelter of the woods seven or eight men, each evidently supplied with several muskets, kept up a hot though useless fire on the log house. The four who had boarded made straight before them for the building, shouting as they ran, and the men among the trees shouted back to encourage them. Several shots were fired, but such was the hurry of the marksmen that not one appears to have taken effect. In a moment, the four pirates had swarmed up the mound and were upon us. The head of Joe Banderson, the bosun, appeared in the middle loophole. Adam, all hands, all hands, he roared in a voice of thunder. At the same moment, another pirate grasped Hunter's musket by the muzzle, wrenched it from his hands, plucked it through the loophole, and with one stunning blow laid the poor fellow senseless on the floor. Meanwhile, a third, running unharmed all around the house, appeared suddenly in the doorway and fell with his cutlass on the doctor. Our position was utterly reversed. A moment since we were firing under cover at an exposed enemy, now it was we who lay uncovered and could not return a blow. 
The log house was full of smoke to which we owed our comparative safety. Cries and confusion, the flashes and reports of pistol shots and one loud groan rang in my ears. Out, lads, out, and fight him in the open. Cutlasses, cried the captain. I snatched a cutlass from the pile, and someone, at the same time, snatching another, gave me a cut across the knuckles, which I hardly felt. I dashed out of the door into the clear sunlight. Someone was close behind, I knew not whom. Right in front, the doctor was pursuing his assailant down the hill, and just as my eyes fell upon him, beat down his guard and sent him sprawling on his back with a great slash across the face. "'Round to the house, lads, round to the house!' cried the captain, and even in the hurly-burly I perceived a change in his voice. Mechanically I obeyed, turning eastwards, and with my cutlass raised, ran round the corner of the house. Next moment I was face to face with Anderson. He roared aloud, and his hanger went up above his head, flashing in the sunlight. I had not time to be afraid, but as the blow still hung, unim still hung impending, leaped in a trice upon one side, and missing my foot in the soft sand, rolled headlong down the slope. When I had first sallied from the door, the other mutineers had been already swarming up the palisade to make an end of us. One man, in a red nightcap, with his cutlass in his mouth, had even got upon the top and thrown a leg across. Well, so short had been the interval that when I found my feet again, all was in the same posture, the fellow with the red nightcap still halfway over, another still just showing his head above the top of the stockade. And yet, in this breath of time, the fight was over and the victory was ours. Gray, following close behind me, had cut down the big bos had cut down the big boson ere he had time to recover from his lost blow. Another had been shot at a loophole in the very act of firing into the house, and now lay in agony, the pistol still smoking in his hand. A third, as I had seen, the doctor had disposed of at a blow. Of the four who had scaled the palisade, one only remained unaccounted for, and he, having left his cutlass on the field, was now clamoring out again with the fear of death upon him. "'Fire! Fire from the house!' cried the doctor. "'And you lads, back into cover!' But his words were unheeded, no shot was fired, and the last boarder made good his escape and disappeared with the rest into the wood." In three seconds, nothing remained of the attacking party but the five who had fallen, four on the inside and one on the outside of the palisade. The doctor and Gray and I ran full speed for shelter. The survivors would soon be back where they had left their muskets, and at any moment the fire might recommence. The house was by this time somewhat cleared of smoke, and we saw at a glance the price we had paid for victory. Hunter laid beside his loophole, stunned, Joyce by his, shot through the head, never to move again, while right in the center the squire was supporting the captain, one as pale as the other. "'The captain's wounded,' said Mr. Trelawney. "'Have they run?' asked Mr. Smollett. "'All that could, you may be bound,' returned the doctor, "'but there's five of them will never run again.' Five cried the captain. "'Come, that's better. Five against three leaves us four to nine. That's better odds than we had at starting. We were seven to nineteen then, or, or, or thought we were, and that's as bad to bear. Asterisk. The mutineers were soon only eight in number, for the man shot by Mr. Trelawney on board the schooner died the same evening of his wound. But this was, of course, not known until after by the faithful party. All right, dear listener. 
that wraps up this section of the book entitled The Stockade. Uh, when we next resume, we'll launch into the last two sections of the book. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to see how things will wrap up on Treasure Island. I certainly, for one, hope there will be some treasure. And uh, I look forward to our next reading, and I hope you will too. Stay tuned for our next episode.